Hello, welcome to Christmas Actually with Luke Allen and Lara Collier, the podcast that takes a look at the Richard Curtis film Love Actually, one day at a time. It's Monday the 23rd of November, actually. Um, I am one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Lara Collier. Hello! (laughs) And with two special guests, once again, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And Emmy Bashful. Hi! Um, So, because I forgot, I ended up leaving it till the end last time, because I forgot last episode, um, are you able to both briefly say who you are? Briefly? (laughs) I'm... uh podcaster and i have many movies by minutes shows including one with luke two minutes about time you gotta get that out of the way i do like a richard curtis film (laughs) (laughs) one um yeah and uh otherwise outside of podcasting i don't know what i do i guess i'm a professor of communication and you're the exec producer of this show oh yeah bias (laughs) And Emmy, uh, who are you? I, I'm Emmy. <laughs> I've just kind of fallen into podcasting. I was editing Sitcan for Eddie and Ollie, and then they asked ah. me to join them. So I just kind of fell into it that way, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, so that's why I do a little bit of podcasting there. And in, in life, I just do um, admin for social care. And it's a double up with Sitcan having Eddie on last episode. Yes, so. yeah, he said yeah. he enjoyed it. So I guess, what are both of your experiences with Love Actually? Um, we'll go Robert then Emmy again. I've seen it <laughs> twice. <laughs> I I didn't see it when it was in theaters because it's rom com and a Christmas movie, so I wasn't that into it. I saw it a few years later on. I think I rented it on DVD, and then then I hadn't seen it again until like two days ago. And you have strong opinions on this film that we will approach. <laughs> <That's what laughs> oh, I I love Love Actually. I don't know when it was that I first saw it. Um, but I watch it every Christmas Eve with my mum and dad. It's like our, our Christmas tradition. So I, I just love it. So <laughs> I don't know what your strong opinions are going to be, but I'm probably going to disagree with them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so considering how long the segment we've got in this time, I'm not going to try and read through all the dialogue like I did last episode, um, because there's a lot of it. And like otherwise, mm-hmm, half of mm-hmm. the episode will just be me doing the film. Um um, so, I want to acknowledge first that because the film was re-edited before its release, um, some of the days don't quite click as well as they should do. So stuff like the wedding here, you have, um, I think, Colin Firth leaving to go to the wedding. Then you have Martin Freeman and Joanna Page in their first sex scene thing. Um, and then you have the rest. Uh, then you have the rest of the wedding... Then you have them meeting again, like saying, oh, you know, traffic was awful or whatever. And then you have the wedding reception. So it doesn't quite flow as well. So it doesn't work to this breakdown as well as I expected it would. But hey ho, it's Christmas. So we open with the wedding, which is a it's a good place to, to open the episode, really. Um, we have Peter and Mark talking about whether about the surprises of the stag night. And we get the credit that it's produced by Jun- by Duncan Kenworthy, who also produced Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, before we get the credit, 
that it's also produced by Tim Bevan and Eric Fellner, who are just working title films. So, I mean, what what are your all of your overall thoughts on this wedding scene? Complaint number one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Christmas film, and you name the black character Peter? That's wrong. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Should, should, I, I, I don't it's get a little on the... the nose. You don't know what Black Peter is? No, no I don't I get it either. No. Oh, okay. Good. Maybe it's not a. Maybe that's not a British thing. I never really did Christmas, so I only vaguely know of Black Peter. Okay, okay fine. We'll accept that one. <laughs> <laughs> How about the fact that... Complaint number two. I know nothing about Peter. He's a... The, the, he's... He, so many characters in this movie... No, actually... A lot of the background characters in this movie, including Peter, where he should be more important, have no personality. He's just kind of there. He might be homophobic. I'm not sure about that. But otherwise, he he kind of just goes away. And I I I like I like Chiwetel. He's a cool actor. I want to see more of him. Yeah, I definitely know the actor's name. I don't know what I know him from, but I know Chiwetel Ejiofor. We see Kira Knightley enter, which is Richard Curtis's favorite shot in the whole film. Of course. Oh, no. It's a good shot. <laughs> but yeah, we then get um, the credit that is written and directed by Richard Curtis. And I feel like I don't need to say what else Richard Curtis has done. Like, I think everyone... Never heard of him. Listen to this nose. Um, he, of course, is most known for his um, narration in 64 episodes of the podcast Two Minutes About Time. Um, that's, I think that's probably his starring role. Uh, it's his most recent. It is. That, that's true. <laughs> um, outside of that, he's, of course, the man that brought you the classic film uh, SEO Trot. And uh, a couple of episodes of Spitting Image, I think. and Might be about it. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. There we go. Pick the most obscure and go with that. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, and of course, he made Trash. Now, I'm sure I've said this to listeners, but obviously Notting Hill, Four Weddings, Bridget Jones, and all the other things I mentioned, he did also make a film called Trash, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is uh, entirely spoken in Brazilian Portuguese. So I don't know why Richard Curtis wrote that film, but it's a decent film. (laughs) He was bored. (laughs) (laughs) Great reason. (laughs) That's when, that's when I write my Brazilian-Portuguese film. He's, I'll get to this later, but he's clearly in the process of giving up. What, here? <laughs> yes. My theory about Love Actually is Richard Curtis was trying to tell us all that rom-coms are stupid. Oh. And none of us got it. Oh, no, this what, basically, he did say he decided that he was done with rom-coms at this point. And he just right, because to no one got it. ideas in one film. All of his ideas were, you people need to stop watching rom-coms. Because they just <laughs> lie to you and convince you that horrible, creepy people are good. I mean, that, that didn't and you should work, be like because them. I watch this one every single Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it... I also like the idea that maybe Richard is, like, not able to listen to the whole show, but he's like, oh, it's Robert from Two Minutes About Time, it'll be nice. I'll tune into this yeah. one. that'll be very nice. <laughs> thing is people still think richard curtis is the rom-com guy because whilst there is romance in like the backgrounds of a load of his films after this point it's not really the center of what he did the girl in the cafe is about the g8 summit the boat that rocked is about 
Pirate Radio, also known as Pirate Radio in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary and Martha, I haven't seen. I don't think I've ever seen the Warhorse film either, to be honest. So, whoops. Um, Trash is okay. SEO Trot is a romance about tortoises. Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is just Mamma Mia again. <laughs> and Yesterday's about the Beatles. So, like, it's not... He's not just doing the Notting Hill type of thing again. Like, he, he did take a step back. And did I... Hold up. I just realised I skipped About Time. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> about Time is at its best when it's not a rom-com. Yeah. No, but I mean, I, I skipped it out of my list of the things he did after, yeah. <laughs> after Love Actually. Um, he did do Bridget Jones 2 after Love Actually, though, so... Yeah. Is that Edge of Reason? But, um... Yes. Yeah. Um, so, which I th- I remember being better than the first one, but I could be wrong there. Honestly, I just like Bridget Jones for the fights. Yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but they should put that on the poster. Just the, just the tagline to get the to get the male audience. <laughs> I watch Bridget Jones for the fights. <laughs> I just like it because it's like. It's not like a big professional sort of like fighting where they look like they're throwing real punches. It looks like a fight between two British guys fighting over a girl. It just, I love it. Bridget Jones's baby never quite worked as well for me as the first two. But it's they all, it also isn't. It isn't written by Richard <laughs> Curtis, so. Even you know, so you know who wrote. You, you know, you know who wrote Bridget Jones's baby. Who? No. Emma Thompson. Yeah, either way, it's stupid. (laughs) Which is probably why Emma Thompson's got the only good lines in the film. (laughs) True. I enjoyed Bridget James's baby. Like, it's really different to the other two. It's fine. I think if you look at it as, like, a completely separate film, it's fine. Patrick Dempsey in it. What's wrong with Patrick Dempsey? The only thing I like Patrick Dempsey in is (laughs) Enchanted, and that's it. I'm sorry. What about Grey's Anatomy? Never seen it. (laughs) <laughs> what about Can't Buy Me Love? No. <laughs> you know, good rom com. Oh, I, I, genuinely, Robert, until I actually saw your Can't Buy Me Love is not really a comedy, which is why it works. Until I until I saw your Facebook post, I didn't think you were going to be giving us this perspective. So I really, <laughs> I kind of appreciate it. It's like what we had with you and Macintosh on Two Minutes About Time. It's just like you're just going to have that cynical view, which I think we need to have at some point. We've been yes. we've been nice for the most part, but we've acknowledged its flaws, like the fat shaming, the creepiness. Oh, that's good. We see the prime minister, I think, for the first time, and uh, and he must work on his wave, and he's feeling powerful, um, and he comes and meets his household staff. He meets mm. Terence, who's in charge. He had an uncle called Terence, hated him. He thinks he was a pervert, but he likes the look of this Terence. Um, he, uh, he then meets Pat, who says, "Good morning, sir. I'm the housekeeper," and that's uh, Richard Curtis's mother-in-law, Jill, playing that role. Yes. Um But Richard Curtis does claim in the commentary that pretty much everyone he knows is in this movie. Like he just has people he knows. Well, everyone's in this movie. That's true. Yeah. Hey, Robert, can we get in the next movie? <laughs> he knows us now. Yeah, I'll be token American. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few token Americans in this film, though, yeah. which is actually refreshing. Yeah, I don't like it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it can work. It um, works. It's just, Luke, you know why I don't like it. 
Yeah, that's true. You can you can say that on here. It's I can. You don't like Americans, right? I like Americans. They're fine. I've got no, nothing can, you against don't have to them. Like them. It's they're just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're fine. They're fine. But what I just don't like is the accent. I cannot stand the American accent. I hate it. <laughs> I don't like it. It's so oh, it gets under my skin. I don't know why. And this is why I don't give Lara the guest list of the show until like just before. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't like the accent. I really just don't like it. <laughs> it makes me sound terrible, but oh, I just don't know what it is. I just, I really don't. <laughs> so uh, we've got Pat, my housekeeper, um, and he uh, we, he meets Natalie, of course. I nearly forgot that bit. And that's uh, kind of important. It is. <laughs> I think Natalie's line's quite important. Should I say the? I'll say Natalie's line, but I won't say, say the it. Prime Minister's line. Natalie says, Hello, David. I mean, sir. Sh-. Can't believe I said that. Now I've gone and said sh- twice. I'm sorry, sir. And then uh, he, of course, is, It's fine. It's fine. You could have said a word we don't repeat on this show. Uh, unless Robert. I wants can to, say it. You, you can say it. Robert can say it. We'll bleep it anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> if I say it, Laura won't like it. <laughs> very funny no i can tolerate it i can tolerate it you say we'll it. have a discussion about how it's pronounced we'll just do it over and over it'll, it'll just ruin luke's day <laughs> yeah you just have a big debate about how it's pronounced and this just and you have to bleep every beep, one of them beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> well one of you say it you could have you could have said Oh, the line. line. <laughs> yeah. It's yes, fine. It's said... fine. It's fine. You could have said, and then we'd have been in real trouble. And she yeah. says, thank you, sir. I did have an awful premonition. I was going to fuck up on my first day. And it's right. <laughs> I'll, um, and then, yeah. I, 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 I like this as a meet cute. It's silly. It's stupid. But it, I think it's quite sweet. What's complaint your... number six. Yeah, I knew you were getting onto this. What's, what's your complaint, Robert? Okay. So, well, you didn't get to the the line, his line at the end of the thing. That is so inconvenient. Yeah, it's a little inconvenient for the guy who's the most powerful person in, you know, England. But for her, this is entirely wrong. Like so many relationships in this movie, how many of these people are involved with co-workers, especially co-workers that are under them? And the power differential between prime minister and boss, who, like, gets her transferred to another place because... Not because he's attracted to her, which would have been inappropriate in one way, but because he thinks she did something with the president is yeah fucked up. You can bleep that. <laughs> like, how about right here? He says, oh, that's inconvenient. Calls in his assistant, say, have her transferred somewhere else. She's a little too attractive. And then they, they meet cute again later in like a cafe. That's not really a reason to uh, transfer someone, is though, is it? Because they're a bit too attractive. It would work better because he's not using in this case he's still above her when they start their relationship sort of yeah i, mean, I see what you're saying if they start a relationship like either way is a bit inappropriate like oh yeah her... and the, and thus that is a bit inconvenient <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so he's right that's so inconvenient but then it's like why is he the prime minister at all it doesn't affect this romance Except negatively. And so that's why I go back to my theory that Richard Curtis is trying to say this is all a bunch of bullshit. I don't know if you believe that, but do so. There, there was a deleted scene in the film where it focuses on a group of people in Africa, in like, you know, the poorest parts and, and their love life and their story. So I think it was almost a way of going, it happens at all 
statuses and all classes. I think that's what Let's he was trying to do. Let's go back to complaint to number uh, two about the token black man being relegated to the sidelines. You said there was an African storyline that got cut? Oh, no. Yes, but if you'd watched it, you'd understand it really doesn't totally fit. Like, it's on the Do any of them? On the DVD, <laughs> and it's just... And I've, act- I've actually got a note about, about token black guy in this film as well, in this episode, so we'll get to that. Um... Her character was originally called Martine because of how much Richard wanted Martine McCutcheon to play the part. He then changed it to Natalie so, he, so she didn't get too cocky. Wait, so he was stalking some actress at the time? <laughs> well, that's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Um, before I say this, before I get to this point, uh, the views and opinions uh expressed in this episode <laughs> uh, that of the individuals and not of the podcast as a whole although technically robert's our producer and this is not i, I can't i probably can't be the one to say it either because because you're you're in power you could you could cut me out saying these lines i don't want to deal with editing this thing that's true you're not even going to listen to this let's be honest i send no. the episode to you upload. i don't even li- love actually i'm gonna listen to that show <laughs> so uh, my note here as well about Hugh Grant is Thomas Sangster, who plays Sam, the little boy, is Hugh Grant's cousin. Really? Fun. Well, sort of. I think it's a, it's a distant cousin. His um, great-grandmother is Hugh's grandmother's sister. Oh, I never knew that. My neighbour's dog's cousin is my nephew. <laughs> it's That's England. What I Isn't took from everyone that. someone's cousin? Sure related on that island. I mean, have we got any other comments on the PM and Natalie, or should we go straight back to the wedding? Wedding. Can we just talk about how Hugh Grant should be our Prime Minister yeah. and just fix everything that's going on at the moment? Like, he, he should be, right? No. I, I did actually... No? I, I found quotes and stuff from Tony Blair commenting about how he, want, how he wanted to be the Hugh Grant Prime Minister. Which, like, I'm not politically <laughs> involved enough to to say i was also really young during tony blair's point so i know literally nothing about his time in power but i do respect the fact that he actually made reference to love actually several times in interviews little correction here tony blair in 2005 didn't say that he wanted to be hugh grant prime minister he said uh, i know there's a bit of us that would like me to do a hugh grant in love actually and tell america where to get off but the difference between a good film and real life is that in real life there's the next day, the next year, the next lifetime to contemplate the ruinous consequences of easy yeah, applause. I like that. But yeah, I do think if Hugh Grant was our Prime Minister we'd be dealing with, with COVID a, a whole lot better. No, I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. I don't want to get into it because <laughs> it's politics and I don't like arguing about politics. He'd be too busy getting in be relationships better. with his underlings. <laughs> Uh, to be fair, yeah, we'd probably all be dead because he'd be too busy doing that. Are we talking Definitely. Hugh Grant or are we talking the character? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, are we ready to get get into the wedding? Yes. Yeah. Um, so first, I want to say that the vicar is a real vicar. Um, I didn't actually yes. write down what his name was, uh, but he is a, he was a real vicar. Um, you can see several other members of cast from the film in the congregation, including Sarah and Jamie. And this entire wedding scene was inspired by Jim Henson's funeral. And yet there's no Muppets. As apparently at Jim Henson's funeral, they had loads of people in the congregation suddenly got out puppets and all sang together. 
and Richard Curtis liked that, so put it in this. He's stealing ideas again. (laughs) 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 Also, right, I'm pretty sure Lara won't have listened to any of Two Minutes About Time, so also this is like Lara's first impression of Robert, which is also great. (laughs) Like, this is yeah, just... I'm just getting the impression that you hate everything. No, <laughs> this, this movie Day actually made me of. think of an American film. Horrible title, playing by heart, should have been called Dancing About Architecture, which was its original title. Which is a similar idea: a bunch of different couples that we gradually realize how they like relate to one another. And it's just a lot of conversations about romance. I like that movie. I haven't seen it in a while. My main issue with this film is what a lot of people have said is that this led to stupid films like Mother's Day and Valentine's Day and all of that trash. Okay. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> maybe I just like trash, but they're not trash. That's her favourite film you just said, Luke. <laughs> oh, and New Year's Eve. That was the other one. <laughs> I never saw that one. I'm not, sure like heard of it. I'm not sure American. which ones that I've one's watched. That one's got Taylor Swift in it, so really good. <laughs> Oh, Taylor Swift, Star of Cats. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, screw Taylor Swift. I'm sorry. I like the fact that we've actually referenced Cats every episode so far. <laughs> no, we got to stop doing that. It's cursed. Um. So, as as part of the wedding, um, the wedding march becomes all you need is love. Um, all you need is love. I'm sorry, I love it so much. Oh, the song's great. (laughs) It's a good song. I don't think anyone... I'm literally wearing my Beatles t-shirt right now, to be honest. Um, Nice. So, there we go. Uh, The musician who's performing is a guy called Lyndon David Hall. Um, And, yeah, I haven't got any further notes. It's just he's performing. (laughs) Um, And when we get to the different instruments, one of the trombone players you see from behind is one and only Richard Curtis. Really? Can you actually play the trombone? I don't know. Hmm. But I read the fact um, on his IMDb. I saw he was credited as being in it and I couldn't find him. And then I did a lot of research online. I've asked Emma Freud as to whether there's a story behind this because he doesn't really have any cameos in anything else he's in. Um, anything else he does, except the tall guy. He's in that, actually. Um, as man leaving bathroom. And uh, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm awaiting to hear back from Emma Freud, but if I do hear back from her, then there'll be an insert right now. Okay, I have heard back, and the answer is not the answer I expected. The answer is that IMDb appears to be wrong, and it isn't Richard there at all. Um, he doesn't cameo in Love Actually. So, uh, whoops, I guess. Uh, but yeah. Okay, get back to the conversation where we think he did. That does bring me to a point of something that I noticed. Like, people are dressed really weirdly for this wedding. Like, no one seems to be dressed for a wedding. Like, is it Sarah or Sarah? She's wearing a beanie. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even question that, oh, but that's yeah, true. Oh, yeah, you... I can't. <laughs> Just, why? Why did no one dress up? It's the 21st century. We can be free. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> It's just really weird because they look like the audience, not audience, the guests look, look like they've not bothered. And then you've got Kira Knightley who looks like she's dressed as like a swan. She's got feathers all over her dress. It's just really Keira weird. Knightley could wear white shorts and a white top and she'd still look like a swan. 
Mm. She That's she probably true. does in Bend It Like Beckham, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, I swear she does. Have we got any more comments about the wedding, or should we go straight into Jamie coming home and spotting his brother with his girlfriend? Well, all I can say about the wedding is, well, I'm never getting married, but if I do, someone's got to do this for me. I'm just saying. See, I want to hate it because Peter has said no surprises, and I want to hate it, but I just love it. Well, that's every relationship in this film. <laughs> including marks with peter complaint number 12 if he doesn't want surprises and you already surprised his homophobic self with male brazilian strippers last night you don't surprise him with a band hold up are you calling him homophobic just because he didn't like that the strippers turned out to be men that's only partly marks the real homophobe we'll get to that later Wow. Just wow. Okay. That's a lot to unpack. So, Dan Dan Friedenborough, I think is the name of the guy who plays the brother. He was in The Bourne Ultimatum, but apparently he auditioned just to have a role in the film. They really liked him, and the next time they saw him was at Claudia Schiffer's house, because it turns out he's friends with Claudia Schiffer. Isn't everyone... And obviously we'll talk more about Claudia Schiffer as the references to her continue in the film. And as she appears in the film later on. Which I did not realise until last time I saw it, because I realised I did not know what Claudia Schiffer looked like. Then I googled her and I was like, whoa, that's Claudia Schiffer at the end of the film. Yeah. I have a feeling you have a problem with that as well, do you? With you not knowing or with her being in the film? No, with her being in the film. Her being in the film is fine. The Claudia Schiffer reference is probably the one really horrible note in the best, well, the ar- arguably best storyline with, uh, I forget the character's names, Liam Neeson and the kid. I didn't mind the Claudia Schiffer notes. There was a deleted scene, in, and I agree that's the this is the best part of the film. There well, was a deleted scene where he, uh, where Liam Neeson is like, Searching the internet and accidentally gets a virus for clicking on a page called Claudia Schiffer naked, 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 and then his and then his uh, father turns up. His <laughs> father turns up, so they make so he he pays Sam to pretend it was him who was looking at it, and it's 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 a good and funny little scene. But uh, but you know, you threatening the kid whose mother just died with kicking him out of the house if Claudia Schiffer shows up is a little fucked up. Oops. I think that's so clearly a joke, though. <laughs> but joking about it and calling him, a, what, a motherless little mongrel or whatever? His mother, <laughs> he just had the funeral. We saw it. It just happened. That's true. He's moved on very quickly. I haven't thought about that. Everyone before. has. It's bizarre. They're like, you need to start dating again. It just got home from the funeral. Calm down. <laughs> well, you know the being set at Christmas was a rather last-minute idea that Richard Curtis had, like, partway through. Right like, it was supposed time. to be months apart, the funeral and, like, the wedding and everything else? That's what I'm wondering. Okay. I, I, I can forgive that part, though. Because that's why there's no Christmasiness in Colin Firth's story. Huh. Which I hadn't even realised until it was mentioned. I was like, oh, yeah, there isn't. There's no it's Christmas in, in that. here, though. What? <laughs> um... So we see him and the brother, um, and Jamie's like, um, listen, I've been thinking we ought to take mum out for her birthday on Friday. What do you think? I just think we've been bad sons this year. I don't know why I chose to read that line out specifically. <laughs> like, I just 
good, good line. dialogue and okay. read that one. Um, and then, uh, of course, the prominence is the fact that his girlfriend, Conor Firth's girlfriend, shouts out, hurry up, big boy, I'm naked and want you at least twice before Jamie gets home. And uh, that's where the scene ends. I like that it just stops there. Like, Yeah, we don't I, need I, to know anything about these people. We, I, I think it works, though. I, I quite like it stops here and then we see him sad and moving to write on his own. I don't know. I kind of need that scene to continue and go into a Bridget Jones-style fight. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes! Yes! That is true. I disagree now. Also, <laughs> also, this brother, it is kind of weird that he's around at the family for Christmas after that, right? <laughs> like, when, when, you come by, when he comes by his house next time, he's just there with his brother. Is, yeah. is he forgiven well, him? The brother's now? weird anyway. He's... He, like seriously answers the question when he's got his girlfriend in the next room getting ready to have sex he's like yeah okay sounds fine you know boring but fine don't answer that seriously just say yes and then get away from him oh yeah because he won't notice if he's oh no yeah because colin first gonna go back to the reception isn't he Mm-hmm. oh that does make sense um in this entire segment we don't get aurelia i would like to say something positive actually about that storyline it ends horribly because, oh. you know, big dramatic gestures that are over outlandish and silly. And they haven't even communicated really. But I think the two actors, Firth and Moniz, play like they've got genuine attraction for each other. And so they, it kind of is cute along the way. Yeah, I see that. It's one that I've heard a lot of people have had issues with that story and the fact like they don't speak each other's language and he's already trying to better or whatever. But it's like... I don't think he was ever it's... trying to bed her, per se. I think it's... No. no, I don't think he was either. Her nickname being Plumpy at home is the, is another big problem out of that one, but you said you already talked about that. Yeah, that thing with Natalie being Plumpy, that's, yeah. Was that's it Natalie that's Plumpy? It was Natalie. Because there's Everyone constant... gets goes to someone's home and some fa- someone's father calls someone Plumpy. I don't know, it was horrible and I blocked it out. So, um, this following scene we get at the reception with Colin... Um, offering the food and then talking to Nancy. Um, I really like it. But it was a deleted scene from the Four Weddings and a Funeral script. So copied and pasted that in the original version of the script, apparently Richard Curtis forgot to change the name from Charles to Colin. Nice. (laughs) Which I... Well... (laughs) He does seem a little more... Um, Hugh Granty in that scene, I guess. But um, Nancy, Nancy, whatever, is played by Julia Davis, who was in Ninety Night and played Dawn in Gavin and Stacey. Um, I've just been watching through Gavin and Stacey recently once more, and she's a good character in Gavin and Stacey. I've never seen Ninety Night, but I've heard good things. So uh, I'm going to read out this exchange with Nancy because I really like it. He says, uh, food? No, thanks. Yeah, a bit dodgy, isn't it? Look, like, looks like a dead baby's finger. Ooh, tastes like it too. I'm Colin, by the way. I'm Nancy. Wicked. So, what do you do, Nancy? I'm a cook. Ever do weddings? Yes, I do. They should have asked you to do this one. They did. Oh, wish you hadn't turned it down. I didn't. Right. And then the scene ends there. I, I, I really like. I think it's a good exchange. Yeah, I like it. I, I feel like it shows us just exactly what Colin is like, that he's just an idiot that's just going to keep digging a hole deeper and deeper. Yeah. It kind of makes me like him as well, that he's so stupid. I'm just quite like, oh, Colin. 
So, Robert, I'm just waiting for you to say complaint number. <laughs> no, it's it's. it's <laughs> we'll get to the next thing with Colin and Tony. Then I'll get to the next complaint. Okay, this exchange had, is fine. It's funny. I had a slight issue with Colin and Tony, um, mostly with Tony, in the fact that Tony is the assistant director on that f- scene that Martin Freeman and Joanna Page are doing. There's a continuity issue with them both being here, and I'll talk about that in a second. If I talk about that now, so Tony's here, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously talking to Colin in this scene, and in a moment he's there on the set for the film. <laughs> they doing it like part way through this. He's a busy guy. Oh, yeah. He's very fast. They're actually filming <laughs> next door. <laughs> so Colin thinks he's worked out why he can't find true love, and it's uh, English girls. They're stuck up, and you see. Excuse me. I, and I am primarily attractive to girls, you know, who are cooler, game for a These laugh. These are the opinions of Colin, the character, not like, Luke. Yeah, I should say, not me. <laughs> like American girls, so I should go to America. I'd get a girlfriend there instantly. What do you think? And he says, I think it's crap, Colin. That's where you're wrong. American girls would dig me with my cute British accent. You don't have a cute British accent. Yes, I do. I'm going to America. I do actually really like this story. I shouldn't, but I really like it. Because it goes the yeah. way you don't expect it to go. What's your opinion on the British accent? Because I, as yeah. like, big headers as this going to sound, I seriously believe that the British accent is the sexiest accent in the world. I'm sorry. Oh, I wouldn't put that adjective it. on it. No. Sometimes it's cute. I wouldn't call it sexy. Ever? I can't think of a... Fez! <laughs> I agree with that, and I just don't see what this thing is. of, And I don't know if it's a, a film thing or a real-life thing of American girls thinking that British guys sound sexy. I just don't get it, because I don't think British guys sound sexy. Yeah, but that's because we're British, we're used to it. I just think they all sound dumb. <laughs> well, to be, to be fair, Colin's an idiot. So. <laughs> yeah. But that is what your typical British guy sounds like, like Colin. That's not, like, I don't want to listen to him talk to me. No, Tony's right. He doesn't have a cute British accent. It's probably yeah. a relative thing as well. Because I'm, I'm sure there are American girls. I'm pretty sure I've, I've seen, like, yeah, there are a Doctor lot of Who reviews. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen, like, <laughs> Doctor Who reviews and stuff from American girls who just love the British accent. But I'd imagine it's the same thing from us Brits that I'm trying to think what accent is considered as such from here. I don't know, maybe Australian. I was. I would have said like French. I was going to go with either Italian or Spanish. There's <laughs> a sign that there's no consistency whatsoever. Basically, anything other than the British accent we love. <laughs> but I, I definitely think like we were discussing this in our English class because we're studying a lot of Parisian stuff. That like the French accent is considered from here at least as sort of the romantic accent. I'd imagine Personally, in France they disagree. Personally, I just think it's adorable. Like, because I saw this, right, really, like, sidetracked. I saw this thing on Instagram where, and a, like, I think it was an American guy saying things, obviously, in English. And then he'd get a French guy to say it. And it's adorable because he gets it so wrong. <laughs> obviously, it's not wrong to him, but it's wrong to us. I just think it's adorable. I don't see it as, like, romantic. Well, anything, one French it's... accent. There's also really bad French accents. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, basically, I think what we've learned here is accents are relative. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And subjective. Subjective is the word I meant. 
right. So we all just agreed. We were like, "Sounds right." Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah, I guess for accents to be relative, it means you'd hear it differently. Wherever well, you no, are. well, you would. You have a British accent, so you would hear a different British accent differently than I would, or different than these American girls Colin's talking about would. So I'd imagine this is the case, but I'm just wondering. I always think that I think everyone does that their own accent is really quite plain and normal. Yeah. Yes. I assume that's the same wherever you are. Yeah. I've never asked yet, and I've never thought to verify as to whether I do just have a boring accent. Okay, there we go. That could be the case too. So the rest of this exchange is, uh, do have a British accent? Yes, I do. I'm going to America. Tony says, Colin, you're a lonely, ugly asshole. Accept it. And Colin says, never. I am Colin, god of sex. I'm just on the wrong continent, that's all. And we talked about this. If Co- We talked about this last episode. If Colin was played by Sean William Scott, he'd be a very different character, wouldn't he? Definitely. He'd be so creepy. But the same lines, but because Chris Marshall says it, it's fine. Yeah, because Chris Marshall is adorable. Yeah, and I do find myself being like, yes, go on, Colin. I want him to succeed in his quest for whatever he's going for. I don't. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's not surprising. Essentially, what what I put in my notes is Colin being right about this later is the punchline of whatever Curtis was trying to say in this film. Like, it doesn't matter who you romance as long as you do it with confidence and stupidity. Because then it all just happened. And that's... Maybe I'm being cynical, or maybe I, I don't... I, I think the movie is. I think you are being right about what Curtis's message in the film is. I think it's very much a rom-coms are overdone. Here's one last hurrah with every idea I've had all in one. Yeah, and it's but it because he'd done better rom-coms before with Notting Hill and Four Wayne's Funeral. It's like all he had left was the bad storylines, mostly, not all. No, but each of them were established properly as their own film. They'd be really good, I think. Like even well, Jack they, and they'd Judy. They'd have room whilst, to be better. Even Jack sure. and Judy, whilst weird, has the potential to be a really funny. Well, Jack Rom-com. and Judy is the best relationship in the film. They have a healthy relationship. They interact properly. They don't have a weird power dynamic. You think I, I have time to watch all those movies? Yes, I will do a Harry Potter will. marathon, but you think I have time to watch all those different like relationships in different movies? I don't think so. Why don't so. think they come <laughs> out at the same time? They take time well, to make yeah, no, no offense, but no sh- but like, <laughs> imagine obviously that. Like, not. Just drops ten rom coms just, just yeah. separately. Just like, like if, you, you're not gonna have ten films by the same director just at once. Actually, <laughs> actually the challenge for you, Luke, since you you like you did your re-edit of About Time, is edit each of these stories into its own short film and see if any of them Ooh. work. Mm. Yeah. I was I was contemplating doing that and re-editing it into the original version that flopped before they re-edited it, like just to see that. But yeah, I I will I will definitely be up for editing each one into a short film. I mean, really? Yeah, you didn't see what I did for about time. Mm. It was some of them I think will get worse because they need that space away from the storyline. We need to think time has passed, even though not much time has passed. Yeah, because otherwise, like the P- the prime minister story is going to go from inappropriate to creepy pretty quickly. Because mm. it's going to be like th- four scenes. Same with same with Kira Knightley. Really, there's not enough yes. there. Really. Um, so, are we ready to move on to Jack and Judy? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. 
So this happens. Um, what is? What does? This the the exchange before they start. I mean, the the interesting thing about this is technically it's not a sex scene. No, they're the standards. Of course. Yeah, it's not a sex scene. Do you see any naked? Well, to a lot of nakedness. Do you see any penis? I don't think so. I don't think that's how you quantify whether it's a sex scene or not. Obviously not. I'm just doing <laughs> but, about it on purpose. But I mean, the fact obviously that they are stand-ins, they're not actually. But the film is rated 15 for strong language and sex scenes, which is just interesting. They are sexual. Yeah. I mean, a couple of them are framed yeah. so that if they were doing something, it would still look exactly the same. Mm. Well, I think what it what it's done quite well is the BBFC. I, this is the only film I, I I we've gone this we've gone three episodes without me talking about age ratings, so we'll get onto it now. I don't believe um, that. It's the only it's the only film uh, that I've ever seen on DVD that doesn't say contains moderate sex or contains strong sex. It actually uses the phrase sex scenes. So I, I'm thinking, well, yeah, it does. It contains them making sex scenes. So I wonder if that's why they said contained sex scenes rather than contained strong sex because there's no actual sex. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, kind of makes sense. Um. So yeah, Jack and Judy. I would be interested to see if this was stretched out into a proper film because it could be quite funny. Yeah, I think they're really cute. Mm. I think whilst it would have been weird. It would be quite interesting to to have had a part with them, which you sort of get with him being uncomfortable asking her out, but sort of maybe their own issues with intimacy whilst they're off doing this in their day job. Like, that could be quite funny. Do you worry all the time about sex scene stand-ins <laughs> not being able to have sex? <laughs> now, this is the thing. No one else, unless they've seen About Time, gets that reference whatsoever. But that was a beautiful reference. Emmy, have you ever watched About Time, by the way? I haven't, no. You should definitely watch it. It's a beautiful movie. I will make movie. sure I do. It's my favourite film. And if you lived local, I'd give you one of my many copies I keep buying. Because <laughs> I do a thing where if, if I ever see it like in a charity shop, I just buy it so I can give it to someone. So, oh, that's nice. Because like it got taken off Netflix the moment we started Two Minutes About Time. And it was like, that's a bad timing. So whenever I was mentioning it, people were like, oh, I've never seen it. And I couldn't tell them where to get it from. So now I occasionally go to a charity shop. It's like 20p for it. And I'm like, I'm getting this for 20p. So I think I bought like one for a pound, one for 20p. And then once I went to another shop and they had two separate copies for 20p. So I, 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 wanted to, I ended up explaining it to the guy behind the counter. Because I thought otherwise you might think I'm a bit weird just buying two copies of the same film. But no, he didn't care. Probably wouldn't have even noticed I didn't bring it up. <laughs> it's a charity shop. Um... So, yeah. So I like the exchange that they have here where he's talking about standing in for Brad Pitt once on seven years in Tibet. Do you think they have to get clearance for references like that? Nope. Or the line about Britney Spears later on? Nope. That one they probably should have, but no. I I think that was a thing they briefly commented on the commentary where they were like, did you have to ask Britney Spears' people? And Richard Curtis was like, I hope not. So he was like, I don't know, it's not my... I can't remember what he said. If they want to hear me talking more about Britney Spears, they should listen to Two Minutes About Time uh, in the episode where I don't know what Britney Spears looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? You don't know what Britney Spears looks like? 
I don't, to be honest. I have a vague idea, but I have no like clear image of her in my head. Mm. There was a, there's a moment in two minutes. Oh. Of, there's a moment in about time where there's a poster of Britney Spears in the background of the scene. They were talking about that poster. I was talking about a different poster, and I didn't realise we were talking about the same poster because I didn't know what that was. Britney Spears. Um, and but in my defence, the poster was literally older than me. <laughs> I I feel so old right now. <laughs> this is excuses, Luke. This this film's a, older than both of us, Laura. <laughs> so like excuses, yeah. excuses. Only just mine. This film's about what, like three, four months older than we are. Indeed, I'm a grandma. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have a question about the sex scene is this an actual thing with stand-ins for like the porn industry i but don't think they'd the have to do industry. it over and over and yeah it's not a porn <laughs> film which is what makes it even weirder well, it's a um, very long sex scene with lots of positions for not porn i don't yeah. think it's one scene i think it's multiple um, scenes um there's like a 50 so- shades of gray kind of movie from, oh wow i think richard curtis <laughs> said it was just like some sort of erotic thriller so um she undresses they do the scene junction 13 is total murder gridlock in the morning and then we cut to the funeral mm-hmm. any further notes or can we just leave this scene behind no they have a healthy relationship good for them they met at work and they're positive about interacting with each other they interact several times now you're okay with colleagues seeing one another colleagues is fine (laughs) they're equal Hmm. even sarah and the guy she likes i don't remember would have been fine except she's got a unhealthy thing going on with her brother where she puts down everything else for him that that might have been okay yeah so, taking taking love advice from her boss is not as good. Following it is okay. Uh, by the way, brief comment then on this scene before we finish. By stand-ins, they mean body doubles, right? No. I think they're just stand-ins so they can do the lighting and fix everything up before they Would they asleep. really make a, take a top off for fixing the lighting? Yeah, they had to know how the light would hit. They, they, they say why. Yeah, but it's a different person, surely. They probably got a stand-in who has similar uh, skin tone. And, uh, it would just be a weird day as a stand-in, wouldn't it? <laughs> it seems fine. Because uh, we discussed last week, I think Eddie said that he thought that they were probably just body doubles. But as stand-ins, it just, I don't know. I get it, but it's just... if I feel like when you sign up to be a stand-in, that's not necessarily the sort of part you sign up to. Yeah, but it seems to me like they've done that kind of scene before because they're both very comfortable yeah. with it. Yeah. Straight away. I do like it when he says, I promise I won't look. I think that's quite funny. Mm-hmm. He's really sweet. Mm. Um, so we'll cut into the funeral, which is... Oh, it's a good scene. It's is a it? good scene. I think so. <laughs> um, so let's... let's uh, I'll read out Daniel's speech. Oh, no. Joe and I had a lot of time to prepare for this moment. Some of her requests, for instance, that I should bring Claudia Schiffer as my date to the funeral, I was confident she expected me to ignore. But others she was pretty damn clear about. When she first mentioned what was going to happen, I said, over my dead body. And she said, no, Daniel, over mine. And as usual, my darling girl and Sam's darling mum was right. 
because she's going to say her final farewell to you, not through me, but inevitably, ever so coolly, through the immortal genius of the Bay City Rollers. It's sweet. I actually got kind of chilled saying it. You're not a fan, Robert? It's fine. It the, the funeral scene itself is fine. It's just that everything else happens immediately after is like they need. But maybe that's an editing problem, Mora. Liam Neeson and Thomas Sangster's performances, though, here are really good, right? Indeed. Yeah. Um, and so the wife who's in the pictures is a woman called Rebecca Frain, who wrote recently the film Misbehaviour. Um, which came out this year. Um, it's her who's in the pictures. Apparently Richard Curtis was in love with her for a while, uh, quite a long time, and so sent her a message and said, could you send me like pictures of you throughout your life? And she did. So another one of his victims of the stalking. Okay. <laughs> uh, I just like the funeral. I don't know what else there is to say about it. I think it's quite sweet. There's good performances. And the music is consistently good in this film, I think got a good soundtrack yeah i agree with all of that i think it's really nice and it's nice that there's a a nice serious moment in amongst kind of like we've got the 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 sex scene that we just had and colin and everything it's it's nice it is sweet if i were to do the re-edit of this scene especially robert i'd put this scene first and then the phone call scene after the phone call over the opening credits Mm. yeah or possibly cut the phone call scene entirely, because actually all it really does is links it to the other story. Right. But yeah, so we then have... I quite like the transition to Bye Bye Baby, Baby Goodbye, then playing through the DJ booth. I think that's quite a good transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the transition first... on the next one is good, too. They use music to transition. And so this is when we first meet Sarah. And Richard Curtis said he wanted someone like Laura Linney and kept saying that at auditions and saying, no, she's not like Laura Linney, until someone said, for goodness sake, get Laura Linney then. So we got Laura Linney. That's the story there. What do you think of the of Laura Linney as a casting choice? Laura Linney's awesome. I didn't... I Honestly, outside of this film, I didn't think I knew her, but I'm a big fan of Truman Show. and She was Meryl in Truman mm-hmm. Show, so I should have yep. realised that. She also had a... I can't think of the title. She had a great series on Showtime. Where she was dying. Ah, man, what was it called? I don't know. It was good. (laughs) I will Google... No, I won't. My phone's off to save the internet. So, um, edit in an insert of me saying what the show is. I believe the series Robert was talking about is The Big C, which ran from 2010 to 2013. She comes over. I quite like this. She says, do you love him? Uh, uh, what? No, I just thought I'd ask the blunt question in case it was the right one and you needed someone to talk to about it and no one had ever asked you. So you've never been able to talk about it even though you might have wanted to. He says, no, 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 is the answer. Absolutely not. So that's a no then? Yes. Um, is this the scene you were talking about, Robert? Yes. I I don't think this makes him homophobic, though. He says no four times. Yeah, because he's trying to cover up the fact that he loves her. Yeah. Or is that just him it trying to cover up that he does love him? It make <laughs> Wait, hold up. So now you're saying he's homophobic and in love with, with Peter? That's common. And it's definitely a film yeah. trope. Which Richard Curtis could have been in, purposely including. That Sarah thinks that seeing him stare at them could be on purpose. 
I think he's just panicking because she's kind of like... She's nearly there. Close to the truth, yeah. Uh, so then Mark says, Yes, um, this DJ, what do you reckon? The worst in history? Probably. I think it all hangs on the next song. And before we get any further, I'd like to say that the DJ is a guy called Junior Simpson, who is a comedian, who Richard Curtis once saw in a gig where he said the phrase, and the award for best special effects goes to Notting Hill for removing all the black people. <laughs> and so Richard Curtis cast him in this to make amends meet. Yeah, and give him a tiny little wow. role. Good move, Richard. I, I think that I did quite... I like the fact that Richard Curtis was okay with that joke. And like, I then acknowledged it, and moved. I respect that. To be fair, black actors were better off not playing the stalkery, creepy boyfriend roles. Mm, that is true. <laughs> um. So then, of course, uh, he says, "Now here's one for the lovers. That's quite a few of you. I shouldn't be surprised." And a half, and he plays S Club Junior's "Puppy Love," <laughs> which is just. I think they, I, I think they did get the bad DJ idea done quite well. It's just a little joke. I didn't mind that he's done it. It's official worst DJ in the world. I think that was quite a nice exchange. Any other comments on this before we go over to um, Sarah and Carl and Harry and Mia? I just think this scene when you know what's coming, watching him sat there with his video camera is kind of creepy. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I was thinking that. Yeah. Like, f- at first, like, when you see him in the actual wedding, I didn't have an issue with it. But when he's here just filming them dancing, mm-hmm. when you just know... Just staring yeah. and filming. You know what? I'll say it now because it relates to that. While I dislike some of what the movie's doing with, like, the relationships and the way they interact, there's moments that are done really well, including when she watches the tape. Mm. Where it it's like she's watching and it's like, oh, this is nice. Oh, that's another nice shot of me. Like, she gradually... it it occurs to her what she's seeing and he can't do anything about it and then she's both offended and flattered i quite right. like and that and he just as well. like he runs you know and it's i i love and we'll get to it it i genuinely love like sends me chills i know people don't like it when he leaves and then he keeps he does it two or three times where he almost goes in a circle to go back and then goes because i i don't think i've been in that situation but i can imagine doing that like being mm. like should no like you, you can really get. It's probably more what you're doing inside your brain, but it, it's. I think that he does that performance really well, and we'll yeah. get talk yeah. about that more. And when the that way comes he kind of like snaps the, himself. The problem out of in the movie well. is not the performances of the characters; it's the characters. Mm. I would have liked to have seen more of the story, um, because it. it I've. It's a thing that I've wondered before, like the idea of. Have I wondered, I don't know why I said I've wondered. I think I've wondered this before. I don't know why I said that, but it, it'd be an interesting perspective to have possibly of a happy couple and a guy who doesn't want to ruin the relationship but also is so in love with this woman that he can't like no one else he gets with could compare with her i think that could be quite sweet quite a sort of bittersweet drama as long as at the end of the film as he sort of does here he learns to just leave it be well i think it could be quite a nice there could be quite a nice film the movie learns to leave it be he probably is going to show up like in a yearly basis with cue cards. Yeah, he seems the type. Oh my goodness, you haven't seen Red Nose Day actually, have you? Uh, no, I didn't. I know what it is. Does he do it again? He he opens uh, it with his pin. Like I don't know. It's like it's been thirteen years since I did this. <laughs> he just see that suggests to me that Richard Curtis uh, like was he 
he's not suggesting this is a good thing, and that's good. No, I don't think he is. I know the card's an iconic scene, and I know that we spoofed it, Lara. Yeah, but it Indeed. is it's a, it's it's creepy. I I admit that it's a creepy moment. It is creepy, and I think it's weird as well when when he does when she realizes how he feels about her, and she's like, "But we don't talk." Right, and I just think they they kind of decided that's the storyline that they wanted, but they didn't give it any background as to why he feels that way about her. Like they don't really know each other. No, like, it's, it's like they're children or something. We they have no mm. background, and he's in love, so he treats her badly. Well, it's yeah, like, like maybe maybe in. In an original, if if this was a film on its own, you'd see them when they're young. Maybe he'd invite them all to a party or something. Like you know, say he's a teenager, he likes he likes Juliet, and he invites Peter and a load of other people along to this party, which he's invited Juliet to as well, with the hope that he'd get with Juliet and that she'd fall for him, and then she falls for Peter. And you suddenly slowly see their relationship evolve and how much it upsets him. I think if we if we'd seen him fall in love with her before she was with Peter, then maybe he it was would probably have her boss. <laughs> <laughs> right, but yeah, I think that's a. It's definitely a. Yeah, I don't. I think it has the potential to be a good story, as a lot of these do, but they just don't go far enough. And this is when we're going in depth. Like the film on its own, as a piece of entertainment, point A to point B, really enjoy. But when we start doing this, like, oh, that doesn't quite work. This doesn't. Mm. Um, which is why I think, as we said last time, which Robert would obviously disagree with, this is a good film, but it should be bad. It shouldn't work. Are you all still there? It's very quiet. I'm just nodding. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Confusedly. <laughs> Yeah. I can't decide if I, I think... agree with you or disagree with you or both. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've never kind of looked at it and kind of picked it apart like this before. Like, it does work as a whole, definitely. Because when you kind of put Christmas and rom-com together, it's like it doesn't really need to have a proper storyline. It doesn't really need to be really in depth you can just kind of enjoy it for what it is mm. but then when you do start looking at it like this it's like oh here's, there's loads of problems here yeah pretty much um so because lara you're short of time once again we'll go into the next scene as quick as we can with harry okay. and mia and sarah and knowing the film quite well i think mia's attitude's unprofessional as well like you're blaming book, her very no, I'm not, but I'm saying that throughout the film, she is very She's the much... victim in this. I don't think there's any Harry victim aside from, aside from Emma Thompson. I think she's the real victim in this, but the way that Mia is, is acting around a man who she knows is married. And there is actually a deleted scene where Mia is um, talking with um, Mark about how her last boyfriend left her and how she thinks she might as well just get with the boss even though he's married and i'm glad they cut that scene because it just seemed a bit weird and i liked yeah, how it sound like she's a bad person i liked how their relationship does actually flow on this like i like the fact that at first you see like she's flirting and he's not getting anything out of it and then slowly you start seeing that actually he is falling for her advances my, my... And at first 
Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I was just saying my favorite beat in this storyline with Harry and Mia and I forget his wife's name um, is that yeah. his Karen. wife figures out that there's a problem before he even realizes he's attracted to Mia. Or yes. She like tells him to be careful around that or something. Mm. And it, it's a nice beat that she knows him better than he knows himself. And I think the yeah. whole story is worth it for that scene with Emma Thompson and the Joni Mitchell CD. Yeah, the storyline is fine. The relationship is problematic, but they play it well. Alan Rickman is awesome, even as a guy who's you know doing stupid things. Mm. Because you kind great. of feel sorry for him as well. Yeah. Like he's one of those actors who you don't go, "He's a horrible man who's having an affair." You go, "How on earth is he going to get himself out of this?" And you're rooting for him not to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel sorry for him at all. Fair, fair, fair dues. Yes. And one note. <laughs> No, I'll get to this note when we get to that. Scene, I'm with actually. both of you there. I I think you could sit, you could feel sorry for him, but also you feel sorry for choices he's making, and yes. it's his fault for making those he's choices. Got a wife and kids, like yes. he should know better. But it, yeah, as, no, the way Alan Rickman you, you plays kinda... it, it's like you see it happening so slowly that like it's happening before he knows it, it's happening. Hmm. Apparently, at first, Richard, but Curtis then he still should one... back up. Apparently, around the point when the film was written and came out, Richard Curtis was saying that it is implied that he was already sleeping with Mia off screen. But then, huh. upon a Twitter rewatch a couple of years ago, he changed his mind. He said, "Actually, no, it's just flirting." Yeah, I don't think they go that far. I think, but I don't think had, it matters how far they go because yeah, it's exactly, already because cheated. you know it. You know it could go further. Yeah, yeah. So we've got yeah this exchange where he asks Sarah about how long she's been in love with Carl. I do quite like this scene. I think it's quite, it's quite funny. It's, um, and I don't know whether this is sort of a rom commy thing because I feel like it's not always that obvious in a rom com. Oh, he likes her or whatever. So, I, or she likes him. I think it's quite like he straight up goes, "Look, you like him. Sort it out." Which is, I guess, maybe, may, maybe in a way, could be a message that Richard Curtis is saying about rom coms. It's like just do it already. Ask him yes, out. Yes, and I if mean, it doesn't work, it. give up. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Although with this, with Sarah and Carl, it's the fact that nothing comes after their night together. It's yeah. just like I know that there was an issue and all of that, but the fact that Carl just straight up is like, "All right, he's not with her now." It's just a bit. If there was a scene cut, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to go through the script online, but I feel like we needed some sort of scene with Carl and Sarah where they actually said this isn't going to work out. Yeah, I I think it's weird kind of thinking about it now how this scene starts the storyline off and it's it's really funny with him telling her to just sort it out and go and do it like it's it's meant to be funny and then the storyline is it just is so sad when it ends. Yeah, although it is quite nice for a rom-com to end with some of the relationships not working out. Yeah, definitely. Carl's very one-dimensional as well, isn't he? I don't yep. I, I have no feelings towards Carl. He's so boring. It's a relief to have a a one beat character that's a man though, right? That's the yeah. only good part about like Carl being so useless as a character and Peter being so barely in the film is that they're men, yeah, that's a good move. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You you like I feel like this this episode we're getting just such a cynical look that I completely agree with but also <laughs> I still like this film it's such a weird 
experience. I don't know whether whether both of you, Lara and Ellie, agree with this that like everything Robert says is true and I agree, but also I love this film. <laughs> yeah, the more things that you say, Robert, I'm like, oh yeah, actually. <laughs> actually. Actually. <laughs> Lara, can we please call this episode actually actually? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I, if unless you really, really hate it, can we do the actually thing? No, I don't hate it. I'm just worried like some people might just get sick of the word actually. I I think with only 14 episodes, it'll be fine. Mm. If you were doing like every yeah, minute of the movie, it would get annoying. I mean, with you, Emmy, doing your friends podcast, every title yes. you've got, you've got the one with thing. So. The one with, yeah. So we're kind of doing a similar thing. Obviously, with friends, that was how the episode worked. But with here, we are kind of doing a similar thing and taking a little bit. Just because I kind of... I know you do it a lot, Robert. But I'm kind of bored of the quote from the episode as a title kind of thing. Mm, yeah. It's think... an easy way to come up with titles if you need them. But mm. I understand. But yeah. Anyway. Um... I think with them, before we move on from this scene, with Sarah, where she's sat at the wedding with... Um, I don't actually know what his name is. Uh, Mark? What's his name? Does anyone know? Well, the reception oh. she was with Mark. But she was with, with Mark. Jamie at the actual wedding. With Jamie? She, she was next to Colin Firth at the actual wedding, but in the yeah. reception she was with Mark. Uh, no, oh, in the reception then, sorry. Yeah. Where she's sat with, is that Mark? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they would have been a cute couple. Hmm? She, but she... They have more, like, chemistry than her and... Oh, why have I forgotten everyone's names? Carl. Carl. Well, yeah, well, the problem no there is that Mark and Carl. Sarah are both so stuck on other things. She taking care of her brother. He yeah. pining after Peter and or Natal, uh, Juliet. That they couldn't... I don't think they'd manage. But I think their conversation plays like a meet-cute at a in any of the other stories. Yeah, yeah it does. So that's, that's quite sweet, actually. Because at this point... It's, it's annoying that we get this... It's annoying that we get this scene about her and Carl so soon after. Yeah. Because otherwise it would have been a really fun false lead. Yeah. And, um, they, and they maybe could have been it was friends that and talk and like help each other through their problems and Yeah, better. and you expect it to get somewhere and then it doesn't. That would be I don't like that. That would be really nice actually, yeah. Um so because of time, let's go straight on to Billy Mac being interviewed. Um that was the Christmas effort from the once great Billy Mac. Oh dear me, how are the mighty fallen? I can safely put my hand up my ass and say that that is the worst record I've heard this century. Oh, and coincidentally, I believe Billy will be a guest on my friend Mike's show in a few minutes' time. <laughs> Welcome back, Bill. Um, I, I like the whole Billy Mac storyline. I think it's actually it's one of my favourite parts of the film as well. Yeah, it's just silly and it's one of the things that I remember most mm. from Love Actually. And it does and the I whole just... friendship love kind of thing as well. Yeah. Complaint number yeah, that thirty-two. Was a sweet ending for those two. What sorry, what did you say, Robert? It's yeah, so a complaint number thirty-two. It does do the friendship <laughs> instead of romance, but it has the same problem as some of the other ones. He is the one with all the power in the relationship and he is treating his manager, what's his manager's name? I don't know. Joe. Joe, horribly, like the entire time, constantly doing what he, like not doing what he tells him to. And then, oh, but it's Christmas. I'll show up and say, I actually love you and we're fine. Well, yeah, because it's not a romantic relationship, I don't have an issue with that. It's his redemption. 
It would have been nice is if there had been a, a, a slow build-up to it, admittedly, but I think it's fine. It, it, if we had it, like, if it was its own movie, I think that could be a redemption storyline where we see that Joe is constantly doing things for him, even though he treats him like crap, and then he realizes, wait, Joe, you're the best person I know. Yeah, actually, we've not seen Joe do anything other than be there when Billy's yeah. there. <laughs> so all we see is Billy not treating Joe very nicely, and then... Hmm. Because he's an old ex-heroin addict who doesn't like his new song and is way too honest. Mm. It's okay, I What guess. I wish in this interview scene that we have here is I wish we got a better reaction shot when he starts swearing on the radio. Like, there is no attention brought to the fact that he says the F word like three times. It I would have been the, quite. The DJ kind of responds the first time, but yeah, there, there's, a, there's a slight faint response, but I think there could have been something better there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's too subtle a joke to work. Like I've seen this film so many times, and it was only this point round where I was like, "Why doesn't nothing happen there?" So it would have been nice to to have had something. But I think he just. I think it's funny because he kind of gives up. He does react the first time and then he just thinks, well yeah he has know, already no asked him who's stop. the best shag you've ever had yeah. <laughs> like what radio what, what, what's radio watford doing like, <laughs> which i assume is real right there's got to be a radio watford there must be uh quick google right now Radio watford if the radio show has a producer then half of what billy says is not even getting heard Unless they, it's live, I well, right? They, live. they usually they'd have a delay, like a seven-second delay. They hit the delay button the first time, and then the next like two things he says doesn't get on there. They get it back up. He swears again. They hit it again, and they just keep losing parts of what he's saying. On a replay, never, it'd be good because then they could just bleep all that stuff. I'd never thought about the delay, but that's true. I can't find Radio Watford. Well, no station called Radio Watford. There are Watford radio stations, but there is no Radio Watford. Um, There's also no Billy Mac. This is a film, Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is kind of where we leave this episode. Um, Have we got any further comments or are we all done? We're all done because Lara needs to go. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) let's start with the guests robert where can the listeners find you on social media or your shows or all of uh you can stuff? find me on social media robert eg black wherever or you can go to lemmingdrops.com for links to all my various shows i won't try to list them uh mostly movie by minute shows talking about other movies a little bit at a time and i just like to say before i go out even though i did my plug is treat people better than these people are treating each other in the most of this film because people deserve it. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good message to go out on. Um, and Emmy, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bratpack. Um, and uh, my podcast, my friend's podcast with Eddie and Ollie is Sick Hand. Okay, bro. And Laura, where can the listeners find you? Well, you can find me in England, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Um, Every show has me... that joke at some point. I well, I just took it, so I yeah. feel great. Anyway, um, you can obviously find me on Instagram, Laracalia underscore official. I've obviously got my Facebook page, which I've mentioned in the last two episodes. Luke, you plug that because you know I can't. 
And at Laura I... Collier Music. You will remember it by the end of this. I won't, I won't. I genuinely won't. My memory's terrible. And then also I have my music on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, whatever. And yeah. So the listeners can find me on Twitter at Llama underscore Bottle Zero. Instagram at the Ginger Luke, Facebook at Luke Allen Film, all podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, anything I'm remotely involved in is at LukeAllen.co.uk. This show is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Christmas Act Pod. I nearly said two minutes about time. Christmas Act Pod. (laughs) And um, we're on IMDb. We will be back next on Monday, so a week from today, on Monday, the 30th of November where the Prime Minister is in a meeting about the President coming to England. And a whole load of new stuff happens, including Chris Marshall buying a ticket to Wisconsin and Laura Linney working late in her office. So we're in for an interesting Monday. Thanks so much for listening and goodbye. Bye-bye. Christmas Actually theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Christmas Actually is produced by Bottolo Productions and is distributed by Lemming Drops Studio. For more podcasts and blogs, visit lemmingdrops.com.